Amen. All right, friends. Let's dive into God's Word tonight. If you have your Bible, let me direct you now to turn to Genesis chapter 46. Genesis chapter 46, friends, we continue our study of the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 46 tonight, we will be looking at verse 5 down to the end of verse 27. Genesis chapter 46, verse 5 down to the end of verse 27. Dear friends, I've titled this evening's sermon, The House of Jacob. The House of Jacob. Genesis 46, verse 5. Friends, the word of God says, Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanak, Pelu, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, and Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the sons of Judah, Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah, but Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul, the sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Zered, Elon, and Jaleel. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob and Pedan Aram. Together with his daughter Dinah, altogether his sons and his daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, Ziphian, Hagi, Shuni, Esben, Eri, Erodi, and Ariel. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Berai, with Zerah their sister. And the sons of Berai, Heper, and Melchiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban, gave to Leah his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, sixteen persons, the sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Ras, Mupim, Hippim, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, fourteen persons in all. The son of Dan, Hushim, the sons of Naphtali, Jazael, Guni, Jazer, and Shalem. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were sixty-six persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. Friends, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are faithful generation to generation. Lord, we thank you that as we look at these genealogies, Lord, we are reminded that you are the same in your steadfast love and faithfulness and your covenant-keeping fidelity to your people, generation after generation. Father, we pray, help us to trust in you, help us to hope in you, help us to put our families in your hands, Lord, and rest in your sovereign grace. We ask it all, Father, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Friends, uh, this is not an easy portion of Scripture. Uh, Genealogies, most of the time, are not easy for us. Now, there are some, and I know one in particular who's very fond of genealogies, Uh, and I myself find them interesting too. But the thing about it is, is friends, Some of the genealogies in Scripture, uh, you get a lot of information. 
Um, and this is one particular. There are some genealogies, for example, in the book of First Chronicles and in Ezra and Nehemiah, some of the historical books. Uh, you, you have a lot of names, uh, and so it, it can be kind of daunting to look through it. But friends, as we're looking here, I want you to see that what is being described for us here is the faithfulness of God to his people and how he has blessed Jacob, the heir of the covenant, and he has given to him a family like he's promised. And he has blessed him and made him fruitful and multiplied him. And the same God who has been with Jacob and his family from Padan Aram to Canaan will be with them as they go down to Egypt. What we're seeing in broad strokes is the fidelity of our God and the constant care he shows for us and our families, even as we look at Jacob, because it will be through Israel. It will be through the son of Jacob, that particular son who is Christ, that redemption will come to, uh, uh, to man. That is through Jacob that the Messiah will come. So last week, you remember in verses one to four, we talked about Jacob's wrestling. Jacob was wrestling before God. Lord, I know this is the calling you've given to me, but I'm anxious, I'm worried, I'm concerned, I'm leaving the land of promise. Lord, will you still be with me in this foreign land? And God said, yes, Jacob, you can trust me. I know you and I love you and I have redeemed you and I have called you and I will be with you in Egypt. This is part of the my, my sovereign working. I am bringing you down to Egypt for there. You will be multiplied into a great nation as I promised Abraham and Isaac before you. I am the same loyal God of the covenant. And more than that, Jacob, Joseph, your son, he will be the one to close your eyes. You will see him and he will be at your bedside when you die. Jacob, don't be afraid. And that was the antidote to us. Our fear is remedied by looking up to our faithful God. Our fear is remedied as we hear the gospel, as we draw near to the Lord. Our fear is remedied as we see how good and faithful he is in every circumstance. Well, in verse 5, we see the setting out and the narrative portion. They leave Beersheba, verses 5 to 7, and they go down to Egypt. Now, it's not a great journey. It's not going to take them a, a lot of time, but there's a pretty big entourage. There's 70 plus people that are making this caravan down. But we're reminded of a few things. Israel is old, and so Jacob's sons carry him. They put him in the wagons along with the children and the wives. And so, friends, we're reminded that the whole nation is going down to Egypt. Not a one's left behind. They're not leaving one in a little outpost somewhere, somehow. Everybody is making the trek down to Egypt. Egypt. Friends, in a little way, it pictures for us that God is faithful to bring his people to their destination. Uh, we have here a little picture of, of uh, God's sovereignty and salvation. Those whom he begins with, he keeps and preserves until he brings them savingly home. God is faithful to his people to the end. But we see, friends, here uh, that, again, these wagons are the wagons that Pharaoh sent. Friends, remember that this meant that Jacob and his family were the honored guests. They were, they were given the red carpet treatment. They were, Pharaoh was saying, you have the highest level visa now to come into my country, to settle here. You are to be the most honored of all the immigrants. And so this is, this is royal treatment. This is reserved for heads of state, right? Pharaoh sending his own wagons to come and take 
Jacob and his family for Joseph's sake. And so, friends, again, we see the providence of God. God was able to move the heart of this pagan king and to provide for his people, to provide for their their immigration down to a foreign land. Friends, your God is so sovereign. Senators, congressmen, presidents, kings, elected officials, business bureaucrats, in the hands of a sovereign God, he uses them to fulfill his good purposes for the church, right? He's able to use them and work through them for his glory. So friends, don't be afraid of them. Pray for them. Friends, remember, we're to pray for those who are in high position. One of the callings of the Christian is to pray for the emperor, pray for the king, to pray for the president, to pray for the elected officials, to pray that the Lord give them wisdom, to pray for those in authority over us. But friends, we're... Even though we're to show respect and reverence because of the positions that God has given to them at the same time, we pray for their salvation, we pray for their godly wisdom, and we trust that even if they're abominably wicked people, God's still holy, and God is still sovereign, and God will still use them for his glory and for the good of his people. So don't fear the might of evil men. Know that God works it for his glory. So we see that they leave in verse 6 and they take everything with them. So not only do they take the persons, but they take all their livestock, all of their goods that they'd gain. Now remember, friends, Jacob went over that river of the Euphrates with just his staff. And he's come back of uh, great family. And they have been multiplying in the land. And they've been gathering herds and flocks. And now they're taking all of this wealth that God has provided and they're bringing it with them down to Egypt. Friends, God has been so faithful to his people to provide for our needs. Look at our own lives, friends. Can, can we not look back on the, the days of our lives? Can't we look back year after year, decade after decade, and see how God has met our needs so perfectly? How God has been so faithful to be with us even when times were difficult, even when times were hard? Even when things were scarce, God was still faithful to us and God still provided for us. Friends, uh, one of the scriptures says, you know, I've been young, but now I've been old, but I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed, his offspring begging for bread. Dear friends, you can trust yourself and your family to this loyal God of the covenant. He is so faithful to us and we can put our children in his hands and say, Lord, you love them and you care for them more than I ever could. And so we see that provision of God in providing for them in the land of Canaan and now providing for his people down in Egypt land. Well, Jacob and all his offspring come and we're reminded here, this is important in verse seven, that it's not just his sons that are going to be enumerated here in the next register, but it's also his son's sons. So it's his grandchildren along with daughters and his son's daughters and also the wives of his sons and his grandsons. All his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. So the whole family, even the the in-laws, right? Or not the in-laws, but even the ones that have been married into the family, they are all coming down. Now, this is important because in verses eight down to uh, the end of verse 27, what we see here is Moses, as the inspired historian that he is, is giving to us a... It's a inspired selective register. It's not everybody. And it's even including people that have died and people that are in Egypt now when Jacob is making his way down. 
But the key is, is he is trying to emphasize again and again that the whole nation came down to Egypt, that the whole people are down in Egypt. And it's 70 persons. That's what he wants to get across. 70, 70. Well, why 70? Well, friends, because this 70 has some significance, right? It has a significance of completion and perfection and fulfillment, right? We think of the seven days of creation, uh, of God's full work of creation. We think of 10 as a number uh, of completion as well. So this is what Moses is working with. But again, friends, imagine in your mind as we're looking through this, that this is a family tree. Now, I I prefer to look at family trees that kind of go like this. They go from the bottom up. That just kind of helps me a little bit because you see from the patriarch, Jacob, all of these different branches that are sprouting out, right? And the branches are named, right? They're, They're directed. So we're looking at the first branch. And the first branch is the children of Jacob through his first wife, Leah, okay? So in verse Eight, we see now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. The first named is Reuben. Reuben, the firstborn son of Jacob. Now, friends, again, we know Reuben's story, don't we? We know some things about Reuben. This is part of the genealogy. God, the Holy Spirit, is leading the people of God to reflect upon the significance of this one who is Reuben, the firstborn. Now, friends, in one sense, we've been looking at this the whole time, this idea of the firstborn. That idea of primogenitor, the first to open the womb. And we see, friends, that Reuben is the first son born to Jacob, right? But, friends, firstborn not only carries in the Scripture the sense of, you know, first in chronology or first in sequence, But it also, most importantly, conveys the sense of preeminence. And that's why, friends, you see the firstborn receiving the double portion. The firstborn being the one that's supposed to inherit the blessing. But this idea of the firstborn has the idea of preeminence, of exaltation, of dignity. But Reuben was passed over because he defiled his father's couch. He went in to Bilhah. And remember, friends, that God, in his judgment, passed over Reuben. And instead, the firstborn status of the son of Jacob is going to go to Joseph. But friends, again, we've noticed something, friends, as we trace Genesis, right? We're looking for the promised Messiah. We're looking for the promised Christ. We know he's the promised son. But have you noticed that as we've been tracing this promised son, this issue of the firstborn kept coming up? Who did Abraham initially want to inherit the blessing? Was it not Ishmael? Oh God, may Ishmael live before you. You're promising me a son in my old age by Sarah? (laughs) Lord, let Ishmael live. He's my firstborn son. God said, no, it's not the son of of the flesh, but it's the son of the promise. Who will be the heir? Friends, again, Romans 9, we're seeing that when God saves, when God calls, it's according to his gracious will. It's according to his sovereign purpose. It's according to his mercy. God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will show compassion on whom I will have compassion. God chose Isaac to be the heir of the promise. 
and to know the Lord as the redeeming king. And so we see the firstborn blessing goes to Isaac. Isaac receives the lion's share of the property. Isaac is designated as the heir. Well, then Isaac does the same thing, doesn't he? Isaac says, I want Esau, my firstborn, to inherit the blessing. And the Lord says, no. Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. God said, I already gave an oracle to you, O Isaac. And Rebekah, and I told you that there are two nations wrestling in your womb, O Rebekah. Two peoples warring within you. And the older shall serve the younger. There was a promise that the younger would be exalted. And now, friends, again, Reuben, the firstborn according to the flesh, is not the firstborn of promise. Friends, this is what God is teaching us, is that this promised son who's to come, this exalted one, will not be according to the power of the flesh. It will not be according to the power and wisdom of man, but it will be by the sovereign grace of God and of God alone, this Messiah who will come, this promised son. So friends, again, then we go to the New Testament and we see that Jesus is described as the firstborn over all creation. Not that he was the first created creature. That's the error of Arius. But that he is the preeminent, exalted one above all things. He is the firstborn, Romans 8 says, over many brethren. The preeminent, exalted one in whom we have our inheritance, our life, and our redemption. So friends, that's tracing the theme of the firstborn. That idea of exaltation of one who is preeminent and set apart. So... We look at Reuben and we go, wow. And we look through him to Christ. Well, we see Reuben's sons are laid out for us. And I'm not going to read all of them. But notice that these are the clans of Reuben, friends. So in the providence of God, these sons of the patriarchs, these sons of Jacob, they're, they're the clans. And so when you read through Exodus and you read through Numbers and you have all these clans that are named, this is where they come from. They're tracing themselves back to a tribal head. They're tracing their lineage back to one of the sons of Jacob. So Reuben has his sons. Now we have Simeon. Simeon has a lot of sons. And we see in, in verse 9, which is in verse 10, which is interesting because Simeon becomes one of the smallest tribes in Israel. He has the most sons. But in the end, his tribe is one of the smallest. It's the fact it's so tiny, it gets swallowed up in Judah. Its inheritance is within Judah. Again, friends, we see it is the purposes of God, the promise of God that will prevail. A little bit later on, Jacob's going to say a curse on Simeon. He's going to say, oh, Lord, scatter Simeon and scatter Levi within Jacob. And the Lord fulfills that. And so Simeon is scattered there. Uh, in passing, notice that he, one of his descendants, one of his sons, Shaul, is the son of a Canaanite woman. Uh, the significance of that is one, one of two things. One, either he married a Canaanite woman or he was intimate with a Canaanite woman and that's how this, this son was born. But again, friends, you know, sometimes people will look at that and be like, you know, that God is, is some sort of, uh, you know, he's, he's against, uh, you know, th th there's some kind of racism there. And it's, it's not racism, friends, but it's, it's the idea of, of faith and trust and, and who these guys are hoping in, right? So, so this Canaanite woman, her faith is in the gods of Canaan. Her hope is in 
the idols of Canaan, right? Her loyalty is not to the Lord God and she's not believing in his promise or trusting in him. So that's the main issue, friends. Why does God forbid the intermarriage between Israel and the Canaanites? It's not because of some sense of racial inferiority, but it's always spiritual. God is saying, if you marry an unbelieving woman, O men, don't be afraid, don't be surprised that you're led astray into the idolatry. Don't be surprised when she beckons you to go to her temple and worship with her gods. And, oh, women, don't marry an unbelieving man. Because if you do, there will be all of the pressure that you would conform to his pagan spirituality. And so the warning against these intermarriages is really, in essence, the prohibition of God against believers marrying unbelievers and the people of God marrying those who don't know the Lord. Friends, and that's one of the main criteria when it comes to Christian marriage. As believers, we are free to marry in the Lord, um, you know, if, if as men to marry a woman and woman to marry a man. And there's, you know, your Bibles don't say, you know, you should marry Carol or, or Rachel or Leah or whoever, right? But there are certain principles and the, and the principles laid out include don't be unequally yoked, right? So, you know, young folks, if you're looking at marriage, that is something to keep in mind, that as you're preparing, that God gives strong warnings that we not be married as believers to unbelievers. And so we see a little bit of that there with this relationship that Simeon has with the Canaanite woman. Well, Levi, verse 11, uh, his tribes become very important. Remember, it's through Levi that Aaron will be born of the tribe of, of the uh, clan of Kohath. And so we have these Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, plus the Aaronites, these four distinct groups that will arise, uh, and God will use them as his uh, ministers, the Levites minister among the people, uh, not unlike preachers and pastors today. Uh, in verse 12, we see Judah. Now, friends, noticing as we're looking through in verse 12, Aaron, Onan, these both died. Remember, they died for their sin. God judged them, and he, he judged them with death for their sin and disobedience. And yet we see that God was gracious to Judah and he did preserve Shelah and he gave to Judah two other sons, Perez um, and Zerah. Remember those were sons by Tamar, right? And we saw that that whole episode was the turning point in Judah's life, that God used that affair and all the consequences to make him into the godly man that he become, that it was through that that God humbled him and turned his heart away from idolatry and selfishness. And from that point on, Judah became uh, a leader among the people of God, a leader in his family. And we see, friends, that at the end of Jacob's life, friends, even though Joseph is regarded as the firstborn and he receives the double portion, so Manasseh and Ephraim are both counted as Jacob's sons, nevertheless, the promise of God the line of Messiah, the son will come through Judah. Judah, you are a lion. The lion of Judah, the scepter shall not depart from your hand or a lawgiver from between your feet until tribute comes, until Shiloh comes. Well, friends, as we move on, we see in verses 13, Isaac, Issachar and his clans are named. We see that these are all the sons of Leah. Dinah is mentioned there. Remember, friends, again, you're tracing the family tree and you're seeing the work of God sort of in, in a broad view, right? When I see Dinah, what am I reminded of? But the Dinah incident, 
and the defiling of Dinah at Shechem. I'm reminded of that whole affair. I'm reminded of the sin of God's people, and therefore I'm reminded of my own sin. I'm reminded of the wrath of God against these, and also the judgment of God against my own, but I'm also reminded of God's mercy and discipline and how God used and worked through that. Friends, again, these people are being held up for us as a, as sort of a, as sort of pictures for us. And they're numbered at 33. Well, then we move on from one branch, which is Leah. We move to late Leah's maid servant, who becomes Jacob's concubine, who is uh, Zilpah. And we see the sons of Zilpah are named. They are Gad uh, and they are Asher. And these are the sons of, of Gad and Asher. And they are counted as full tribes. They are counted as true sons. Friends, that's one thing to bear in mind. That God regards these as sons. They're they're not inferior. They receive a full share uh, in the house of Jacob. Those are whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. Well, friends, Jacob's family's a mess. He has four wives. Two of them were sisters, and two of them were their, his wives' servants. I mean, this, I mean, if, if, if Jacob was around in the days of like cameras and reality TV, I mean, this would be, I mean, this would be like, you know, more scandalous than, 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 than all kinds of things. I mean, can you imagine the drama going on in a household like this? But friends, no matter how, how much there was sin here, God was faithful and God blessed Jacob and God blessed his family. Friends, sometimes we look at the brokenness in our family and we look at choices that we've made or others have made, and we think, Lord, this is beyond repair. This is so broken. And yet, friends, if we look back at the people of God and how God has been so faithful to his people in the past and in the present, we know, friends, that God works through the brokenness of his people, that he can and often does bring healing and restoration and reconciliation in Christ. But friends, in time, the brokenness of our families really served to show his loyal love and goodness and loving kindness towards us. So friends, if you're, if tonight, friends, or maybe in the days to come, you're just torn up about something in your own family, let me, let me encourage you to come. Let us come and, and just lay all of that at the Father's feet and say, Father, I don't know how you can do anything with I don't, I don't know, but your word tells me that you are working all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to your purpose. I know, Father, as your dear son, that you are using this in my life and in the lives of your people, that there is something good that you are bringing out of this to your glory. And it may not feel good to me, and I may not ever understand all that you are doing, but Lord, I want to trust you. Friends, that's what we do with the brokenness. We say, Lord, help me to trust you. And that's why, friends, we have thousands and thousands of years in this Bible. Because you can see that multi-thousand year track record of God's faithfulness to you and to his people. Well, going quickly, in verses 19, we have Rachel. She's the third branch. And we see that Joseph and Benjamin are named. We're reminded that Joseph is in the land of Egypt and Manasseh and Ephraim, his two sons, are there. God provided for Joseph a wife and Asenath, the priest of On. 
Benjamin is named, and Benjamin has many sons. Bella Baker, Asbel, Gera, Nahum, Ehud, Ross, Mopim, Hupim, and Erd. These are the sons of Rachel, 14 persons. And then finally we go to uh, the very last concubine who is Bilhah, and her sons are Dan uh, and Naphtali. Well, seven persons of sons come from them. In verse 26, we have a concluding statement. Now remember, friends, Moses is writing under the inspiration and superintendence of God the Holy Spirit. So he says in verse 26, all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. So he is counting of his sons, 66 persons. He's not including himself. That is, Moses is not including Jacob. And Moses is not including Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh. So that's four. So there's 66 persons besides those four. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. Okay. So friends, again, he, Moses tells us he's not including the wives. So we have to take it that this listing, this register, this accounting... Uh, has the purpose of telling us that God brought everyone. God is faithful to his people to the end. Well, friends, in closing, you know, God is so faithful to Jacob and God has been so loyal in his love for him. We see that loyal love ultimately bearing fruit in the Christ who was to come. And so, friends, as we look to that Christ, as we look to the Lord Jesus and hope in him, Friends, let's just continue to bring our families and lay them before the Lord. Let us ask God's blessing on our church, that the God would continue to bear with us and keep us and preserve us. Uh, And let's be reminded, friends, that the church has a long track record of numbskulls and, and, and knuckleheads, but God has used them and God will use us. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Father, we pray that you would help us to love you, to hope in you. Father, we pray that you would uh, lead us this day as we keep looking up to you and to Christ. Father, thank you for being so loyal in your love to your church. Father, we ask your blessing in his name.